Okay, what up, what up, what up, people? How are you doing? This is your boy Mario. And this is your girl Aisha. And we are Woke Up a Rebel. And this is our Rebel Reason podcast. All right, all right, all right. Well, Aisha, what up? How are you doing? I'm feeling great. How are you? I'm good. I'm blessed. I'm feeling good on this uh, lovely afternoon. Um, what are we going to talk about? So we're going to talk about Black History as today is the final day of Black History Month. And we're going to talk about the relationship between Latin culture and African-American culture in regards to music and how they entwine and how they've progressed throughout the years and how we're hearing a collaboration more frequently and the fact that there has been a collaboration going on this whole time that nobody has noticed and we'll bring up how you can really pick up on that with certain instruments. Okay, okay, that's cool. Um... But also, we're going to talk about music, and uh, I think you mentioned we're going to talk about some inventions, right? Some black inventions. Yes, some black inventors that you don't normally hear about who've made our daily lives quite easier. So I figured we'd give credit to where credit is due. Right, and uh, for the most part, <laughs> I know that uh, I like to listen to Drink Champs and Nori's always saying, let's give uh, you know our legends their flowers when while they're still here, but unfortunately, none of these legends are here. <laughs> so the best we can do is just acknowledge them, put them in the, I guess, consciousness of everybody who's listening. Nicely put, my friend. So I wanted to begin with talking about Black history and remembering important people and events in the history of the African-American diaspora. It's an annual celebration of achievements by African-Americans, so why not bring it up? But I've noticed in schools, they've always mentioned the same four people in Black History Month. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X... Rosa Parks and Marcus Garvey. Yeah. And to be honest, I've never heard of anybody else really. Exactly. And them. even in the schools I work with, there's always the same four people on the walls. And that is great. They obviously have had great accomplishments. It's true. And they were a part of making great movements, the civil rights movements, and making progress and equality in the black communities over the years. However, there are many other black people who've made great contributions to our society who never get mentioned and were not. We're never taught about them growing up. Um, so you have to wonder why these people aren't taught about in schools or why we never hear about them. Um, when I was in university, there was a case where my prof, I was taking a media and pop culture class, and my professor asked the classroom, what are black people known for in media and in culture? And a lot of the answers she received were, we're known for uh, making music, being gangsters, playing sports, basketball, comedy, usually anything in entertainment. And some students just didn't know, so they didn't answer. And I realized that's a problem, that black people aren't portrayed as innovators, scientists, in inventors, mathematicians, in everyday media. There's always a negative connotation about black people in the news or in the media. Schools don't help with that problem either. They could teach more about the many black people who have contributed to making our everyday lives easier. But growing up, I was always taught a lot about black history, our ancestors, and how they were the originators of many of many things in Africa, specifically Egypt. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. So the foundation of math, science, medicine, architecture, psych, psych, psychology, psychiatry, I'm sorry, try again, and astronomy, they were thought that the Greeks came up with these things. And that's not true. That's not the case. This is for you. Listen. 
what many don't realize are that the Greeks went to Egypt to learn about all of these things and then brought it back home with them and, you know, shared it with their people and had their philosophers speak on it. And that's absolutely fine. But my only issue is, you know, give credit where credit is due. And why aren't we ever taught the truth of these things growing up? Is it to keep, is it to keep us in that colonial mindset where we must be controlled and aren't capable of doing things for ourselves? Madness. When the case is the exact opposite. Without us, a lot of things wouldn't exist. So I thought I would help enlighten our listeners to some of the many ways we as black people have contributed to society. Okay, yeah, I was waiting for this one. This part. So one of the first inventors I'm going to mention is Frederick M. Jones. And in 1949, he produced the air conditioning unit, something we all use today, especially on those hot summer days. You hear that, people? A black man invented air conditioning. <laughs> so it's the air conditioning unit or? The air conditioning unit. So he created the early stages of the air conditioning. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. William H. Richardson. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> William H. Richardson in 1889 created the baby buggy. So you know that lovely stroller you guys are walking around with in your, with your babies? So peacefully sleeping, sometimes screaming, usually eating. A black man made that. That's interesting. Yeah, man. That's interesting. Walter B. Purvis, in 1890, created the fountain pen, something that everybody used to write with back in the day. A lot of people who use or do calligraphy still use fountain pens. And it's a great form of art as well. So thanks to Walter B. Purvis. Was that what... Could that have been what replaced the feather? <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. You never know. I don't know. I have to look that up. For real. Thomas Marshall in 1872 created the fire extinguisher. Something that's used by firefighters. Something that you can find in your homes. Makes it much easier to put out a fire. Without it, where would we be? A black man invented the fire extinguisher. Because you don't... No black man wants to see no fire. Nope. After all the history... All the burning, all the pillaging. You get me, fam. It's okay. It's okay. All the pillaging, you know, not to make light of those situations, I'm sorry, but yes, he did create the fire extinguisher for you know what reasons. Osborne Dorsey in 1878 created the doorknob, something that every door has, every door needs, and it would be hard in our everyday lives if we didn't have one. Well, I don't know what else they would have came up with without the doorknob. To be I guess honest. it was just like a push door? Probably, or sliding kind of thing happening at the time. If they even had the mechanisms to come up with the sliding door. No, I need to look up who came up with the sliding door. For real. All right, Samuel Scotran in 1892 created the curtain rod. Now, is that the shower curtain rod or the normal curtain rod you have, like, in your living room? I don't know, but it's the same concept, so I would think they use it for both. Now, Alexander Miles in 1867 created the elevator. Where would we be without the elevator? El ascensor. be very difficult to have these apartment buildings, have, you know, walking up the stairs. We wouldn't day. have a CN Tower. We really wouldn't. Without one. We wouldn't have a lot of What did they have? What? In the Eiffel Tower. Were they able to go up there? Yeah, it's an, it's an elevator. Since day one? It was an um, elevator? Like, what was it before? Well, I mean, the question really is, when did they build the Eiffel Tower? And I don't think it was before 1867, so... I mean... Mm. I don't know. 1867 was a very long time ago. Though. My European history is like... Um, what? Well, yeah, it was. I'm pretty sure the Eiffel Tower was not that old. Um, <laughs> the folding chair is... Built in 1911 by Nathaniel Alexander, 
you know, when you go out for a picnic and you're in the park and you have those folding chairs. In 1791, I'm just kidding. In 1971, George T. Sampson created the clothes dryer. Something, you know, that As in like us. the drying machine? Yes, the drying okay. machine. Sorry, did I say it backwards? Well, he said the clothes dryer. <laughs> it's like That's what it was called back the in the day. Remember, dryer. English isn't, right, isn't right. the same over the years. So, uh, yeah, that just made it more convenient for, you know, people who actually had to wash and clean clothes and wash and dry clothes, I should say, um, as their job, their daily job. So, why not? Um, in 1878, the doorstop was made by Osborne Dorsey. And in 1884... The doorstop, as in, like, that rubber thing that you put on your door? Well, there's different kinds of doorstops. A rock. A ro- <laughs> <laughs> yes, a rock. The wooden doorstops that you normally would find that's on that, like, it looks like a triangle. Oh, okay. It's on a slant. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I only, like, really know because I work in a lot of different schools oh, okay. and there's a doorstop for, like, everything. Um... The Blood Plasma Bag by Charles Drew in 1945. Think about it. The blood plasma bag that we use to transfer blood. And you're like, type, are you type A, type B? I'm going to have to do this again. Cause or like when they need to do uh, blood transfusions and they have to bring out a bag from the stash. Exactly. Or if you've ever watched Vampire Diaries and the bags that Damon and What's-His-Face were always, Stefan were always uh, drinking out of. Or for those of you who don't watch Vampire Diaries, something like what you would watch in or see in the movie Blade. And for those of you who have not watched Blade, maybe something you've seen in Grey's Anatomy, because we're just throwing out shows today. And if you're a little bit older than that, something you probably would have seen in the show ER. <laughs> a history of shows. <laughs> blood as the bags. <laughs> <With> blood bags. <laughs> Goes to show you how our minds work and we just go off topic, but that's okay. All right. Yeah, that was dope. That was dope. Is that what we got? Yeah, for now. There's so much stuff, but I bet there's a whole There's a lot of other interventions that uh, we've made, like the iron, the refrigerator, the telephone. Yes, I said the telephone. I was reading something about that not too long ago. I think you sent me. It's kind of like a little conspiracy behind that, Mm -hmm. right? We'll get into that one in another one. And the traffic light. The the whole thing, though, is like these people weren't always given credit for their work, and their work was stolen for them because there's a lot of cases where... In order for you to get credit for that invention, you'd have to take your work to the patent office and get it patented. But if you didn't get that opportunity, somebody else could steal your idea, do the blueprints to your work, and, you know, get the credit for that. So that's why we don't know a lot of these people and what their original creation was. For real. For real. That's interesting. Well, honestly, you opened my mind to, like, a lot more... Uh, knowledge on inventions, right? Like, now I want to look up everything that we use, right? And especially when it comes to music gear, right? Like, I want to know who invented a lot of the technology that we use, right? In music, even, uh, I don't know, just a lot of stuff. I mean, for me, that's what I would care about most, I guess. Like, that catches my attention is, you know, electronics. Like, everything you just mentioned for the majority, electronics, right? And it's pretty cool. And we're going to be talking about how the history of these instruments have always been intertwined in both African and Latin culture because there is one instrument that Mario's going to talk about. I'll let him speak on it. But there's one instrument that we've followed throughout history and it's like it's always been there, but you just haven't really noticed it. But it's just great that it's been so consistent and that both cultures use it. And you'll get to hear about it in three, two, 
What? <laughs> You're so weird. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for that segue. Um, all right. So the instrument that Aisha is talking about, uh, we obviously spoke about it before we did this recording, and um, it was pretty interesting. I don't know how many times I'm going to keep saying interesting, but that's how interesting it was. So I'm going to be talking about La Clave and, you know, many would not argue or most would not argue that La Clave is the heartbeat of Latin music. And the heartbeat of Latin music happens to be African. Right? So how do we get to this conclusion? Well, it's pretty obvious when you just look around. Um, the Afro influence on Latin music is by just that, Afro-Latinos, you know, and what is an Afro-Latino? What is the definition of an Afro-Latino? Afro-Latinos are Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, Cubans, Panamanians, Colombians, Venezuelans, um, basically anybody, who, descendants of people who are from anywhere that had Spanish slave owners and African slaves. Uh, that could also be, you know, um, Honduras, right? It has, uh, has a lot of black people in Honduras. Uh, so, now unfortunately, during the slave trade days, it's not like these people were going willingly, so they weren't allowed to bring anything with them, anything of their culture, absolutely nothing. You know, so the 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 people that were taken at that time, they were using the tools around them, anything anything they could, you know, to make music. Uh, the birth of the clave, right? So this is a story. Um, I I looked around, you know, a couple of articles here and there, and they both kind of said the same thing <clears throat> about the birth of the clave. If anybody had, can elaborate on this. Please feel free to leave a comment down below because we are putting this up on YouTube for you guys to, I guess, you know, interact with us. Let us know your side of things, you know, your opinion. And our YouTube channel is Woke Up A Rebel TV, right? So let's get back to this. So some of the Africans that would work on building ships, right, they would use pegs to put the boats together because they didn't have nails at that time. Nails were very expensive, right? So pegs were used, and these pegs, they were used to, like, kind of be... The Africans would hit them together so that they could uh, make music, right? Make <laughs> some, some kind of noise, make some rhythms. So I would find that very... I found that very interesting, right? That uh, they did that. You know, it was pretty creative. And nowadays we have, you know, it's gotten so complex, right? That there's different ways to play the clave. And there's different names for those ways that you play la clave. You have la clave rumba, la clave son, la clave de afro, uh, seis por ocho, you know, there's many different ones. I'm going to show you an example of a couple. And this is a son, la clave son. Right, so you got an idea of what that sounds like. It's pretty cool. And here we have La Clave Rumba. Right? So why did I show you guys uh, what these sound like? Well, I mean, there's so many songs that we know that we can sing along to where they use that rhythm. Uh, it's used in salsa, merengue. It's used in reggaeton. It's used in Afrobeat. It's used in like, bachata. Bachata is used in almost everything that you can think of, you know, Latin music. And you know, so it's pretty cool. And yeah, it's just you know, listening to music again, you know, with these new backs. 
it's just become so much more interesting. I feel like I'm listening to music all over again. You know, yeah, you hear it a little differently now because you know where the instrument's coming from and the ties between the two cultures. Right, and sometimes they're not even using a clave to do that rhythm. You know, sometimes they'll be, they'll be using a clap or something, something different. It's pretty cool. In Cuba, for example, the clave, it's the heart of all Cuban music, right? And then, you know, we go a little bit more in-depth into Cuban music, more in-depth into Cuban music, and you hear that they have almost all Yoruba influences, right, from the region in Nigeria, mm -hmm. right? And uh, what is the influence? Well, during the slave trade days, right, a lot of the Yoruba people were brought over to Cuba, and they were not allowed to practice the religion, obviously. They couldn't practice nothing at all. And a lot of their uh, customs and rituals uh, involved drumming, right? And so these people, what they, they got very creative. They, they tried to keep their customs alive any way possible to the point where they would have to disguise it a little bit in, in the uh, Catholicism that was being pushed on them at the time, right? And so a lot of the music that they would make would be for religious reasons. And, and at that time, they were, like I said, they weren't able to practice the religion. And so it became what is known today as Santeria, right? And a lot of the, a lot of the rituals involved drumming and certain types of drumming, right? Uh, I guess I'm not sure if it was to honor the Orishas or to speak to certain Orishas or to have a certain Orisha speak. Uh, it's amazing. It's incredible. You'd have to look, at, look it up on your own so you can get a deeper understanding of what I'm talking about. Right, so just look, just go on Google and just look up, you know, Cuban drumming or Cuban percussion, right? Cuban music is known, like I said, around the world for their percussion, particularly the way they make the use of the clave. All right, so now that we know a little bit of the origin of the clave, let's see where how it is that it was used right throughout history. So let's go back to the 1960s. And in the 1960s, there was somebody by the name of Willie Bowen. He was from Spanish Harlem, eh? Right, so what he did was he would mix Afro-Cuban rhythms with jazz and R&B, which was unknown at that time, right? It was absolutely new. And it got popular with both African-Americans and Latinos around the area, right? Of course, you know, we all know that there's a huge, like, you know, Latin population in New York, specifically, you know, Dominicans, Cubans, Puerto Ricans. Some other people worth mentioning are two more Puerto Rican sons in New York, and they go by the names of Masters at Work. And there are a couple of New Yorican guys, and if you don't know what a New Yorican is, um, it's a Puerto Rican from New York. And they were house DJs, and they remixed Bobo's jam session into an Afro-Latino sound they called New Yorican Soul. But going back to their version of Bobo's jam session, they actually stayed true to the original sound. Because it was the 80s, I guess, they added some synths, and there was some extra keys in there that just gave it that nice, you know, New York house vibe. Right, so it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Uh, somebody else, once again, worth mentioning, is uh, Mongo Santa Maria. Who is Mongo Santa Maria? Some of you real, like, hardcore, you know, Latin music enthusiasts would probably know. But Mongo Santa Maria, he was somebody who was also from New York. And what he did was he linked up with somebody called Herbie Hancock, who was, uh, you know, an African-American jazz musician of the time around, you know, early 1960s. And the situation happened in a Bronx nightclub. And during a break, there was a substitute pianist, and it was Herbie Hancock. And he was just having jamming out, you know, during the break. He was messing around with the song that he had just written. And Mongo, he heard him, and he's like, okay, you know, I can imagine, you know, he felt the vibe. He jumped in, you know. 
and Mongol style. You know, he's a he's a Cuban percussionist, right? So he started playing a little bit to keep up with him, and their jam session just evolved into something where people started getting up from their tables and they started dancing to this to this new sound that they were creating, and. Um, the song was Watermelon Man. There was already a track that Herbie Hancock had made. But Mongo was just so taken by it that he asked him if he could record his version of it. And he did. And it was pretty dope. You can listen to that down below. We're going to link it to our Woke Up A Rebel Spotify playlist. I know we're playing it so much, but we just really want you to go and listen to it. Because not only that, you're going to hear so much other music that is just going to blow your mind. Now, this song, Watermelon Man, it's actually a pretty popular song. You wouldn't believe how many times it's been sampled. The one that stood out for me was Dolly My Baby remix, the Supercat track. And it's the remix with Notorious B.I.G. and Mary J. Blige. And there's just so many different remixes. Jay Dilla's sampled it. Um, I don't know. Just so many people have sampled it. It's pretty dope. So, the situation happened that they got together, they put this song together, and... You know, Mongo Santa Maria, he collected his, you know, West African roots, you know, to this new world tradition of jazz and R&B. So let's fast forward into the future a little bit, into my world, which is the reggaeton world. And reggaeton was actually born among Afro-Latinos in Panama. Pretty common knowledge. Uh, but it made its way to the streets of San Juan, Puerto Rico, and finally found arguably in its most creative expressions in, in the U.S. You know, like, that's where it really took off because a lot of the, the American slang was being used in it, you know, after uh, a little while. Now, the thing about reggaeton, it's, it's, it's gone on such an incredible journey from where it started that, I don't know, you can't help but be impressed, you know, that a genre has come so far. You know, we have hip-hop, we have electronic music, you know, these genres were, are pretty new, you know, but... Reggaeton is something that a lot of people didn't think would stick around or evolve to what it is today, right? And we got to give credit where credit is due. Reggaeton comes from the vibes and the sounds of Jamaica, Jamaican reggae, specifically Jamaican dancehall. And with reggae, reggae developed in, in the 70s in Jamaica, and it has also gone through numerous changes since then. It's been combined with other sounds and rhythms. But Panama was actually the first place where reggae was performed in Spanish, while the first Spanish rap was actually performed in Puerto Rico by one of my favorite artists, Vico C. So what reggaeton is, it's, what they do is they blend a lot of musical influences, mainly from Jamaican dance hall, some soca, some from Latin America, such as salsa, bomba, Latin hip-hop, and some electronic music even. Vocals, you know, they have a lot of, well, in the early days, auto-tune wasn't being used well. I guess not by a lot of artists. <laughs> Not everybody can do it. Like, Daddy Yankee sounded dope always. I don't care. And I felt like a lot of people were trying to imitate that Daddy Yankee sound, you know, with his voice. But not everybody can do it. Or nobody can do it like him. And uh, reggaeton gained prominence, you know, around 2001, 2002-ish. That's when it really started to pop. The Dembo is a very important drum beat. You know, it's an amazing drum loop. And it's like, it's heard in almost every reggaeton song that you hear, right? And it started over with crossover tracks like Papi Chulo from Lorna and Daddy Yankee's Gasolina. You know, the dembow just it went everywhere. Everywhere. And doing research on this, even found out that there's places like in Egypt, they have a style of music called Electro Electro Chabi. And 
it's like a very slow reggaeton beat, you know, like mm-hmm. mixed with their cultural sounds. But the beat is, for the most part, a very slowed down reggaeton. It's pretty dope. You also hear reggaeton and mumbaton. And mumbaton is something, it's a genre that I really, really enjoy. Uh, I have to pick through a lot of the music because it's uh, it's Dutch influence reggaeton. It's like mumbaton? it's reggaeton. Mumbaton. Okay. Right, it's very cool. And there's also a style of music in Indonesia called Dang, I'm sorry if I butcher it, Dangduk Sexy. <laughs> but Dangduk, Dangduk is a genre where it's, it's weird. It kind of sounds like a mixture of bachata with Asian sounds and reggaeton in the beat. It's very interesting. Very interesting ways of adopting the beat. So the Dembo beat was actually created by a, by a couple of Jamaican producers called Steely and Clevy. But the thing is, they're not the ones that created the sound that we know today that is used over and over. That sound was actually created by Jamaican and Panamanian collaborators in the early 90s in a studio in Long Island. And it was there that, you know, a lot of dance hall was being produced at the time, right, other than Jamaica. A name that uh, apprenticed under King Tubby was a person called Dennis the Menace Thompson, and he was the sole musician credited with dub mix too, better known today as the Dembo Rhythm, or in Panama, the Pounda. So almost any time now that we hear the Dembo beat, it's actually the one, the version that was made by Dennis the Menace, which was laid down for Nando Boom at this particular studio in Long Island, New York. The rhythmic essence of the Steely and Clevy's post-vocal rhythm while adding some digital timbales and other touches for extra sabor. We can hear all of the places that, you know, music has gone in Latin America and the Caribbean and it's amazing how we're all still united because of that. Like, I find it ridiculous when people that are black or Hispanic, Latinos, we hate on each other. Like, there's so much that unites us, more than what separates us. I don't think anything should separate us. Because even from the history, we kind of have a lot in common. Yeah, there's a lot of blending of cultures. We share each other's... Even the foods we eat, some of the things are similar. We just cook them in different ways. But there's a lot of things we have in common, and I think that's the thing we need to focus on in these coming days instead of everyone, you know, living for themselves. So we really hope that this conversation taught you about African culture and black uh, inventions, right? African inventions, African-American inventions. If there's anything that you know of any black inventions or any Latino inventions, then, you know, let us know in the comments below. Uh, Hit us up on Twitter at WokeUpARebel. You can find us there. You can find us on Instagram at WokeUpARebel as well. And if all of that is just too much, just look up our website, wokeuparebel.com. You have no idea how hard it was for us to put that together. (laughs) So please go check it out. All of this content and some of our beats are going to be posted there. So please head over, check it out. Thank you so much for joining us in this conversation. And stay tuned for the next one. Bye-bye. Woke up a rebel.